King Jesus, uh, we're here to worship you this morning. And we're, we're grateful uh, that whatever we bring, um, you're here with us and for us. And, and you want uh, our junk. You, you want us as we are. And you want to change us um, one degree of glory to another. So we ask that we would be a church that in, in direction is more and more unified under your kingship, Jesus. Uh, and and we, we do ask that as we live on mission, um, you'd bring diversity and that would... That would just highlight to the world, the watching world, our friends, our neighbors, uh, those who come and visit, um, that, that it's you that makes this place special and not, not us. We're just participating in what you're doing. Pray for our kids downstairs. Uh, pray that you would empower the teachers. Uh, to connect with them and to love them in ways that are meaningful, to have fun with the kids. And we're grateful uh, to have a space um, for them to learn about you in, in a context that is most helpful for them. Help us to really open ourselves to you this morning, Father, as we open your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are soft, ready to say yes to obey. We say yes even now. Amen. So I don't know if you've seen this in your life. I know I've seen it in mine. I think we all tend to become proud when we've made progress in certain areas. So if you're a parent and your kids behave or do something significantly better than other kids, uh, it's just this tendency, this temptation to become proud. Uh, maybe if you make more money uh, than before because you've been working really diligently, you got that degree, you got that job experience, you finished the project, got a promotion. It's just a temptation to get proud and a little bit full of yourself. Um, even, if, even if you've endured like a difficult season of life, an illness, um, a difficult relationship, and, and other people might not even know that about you, but they start sharing about how tough their life is, and you're like, bro, you don't even know. Um, it, it's easy to become proud. Um, or perhaps if you've grown in your faith, you know, you, you've really committed through, through small groups and fellowships or through your personal time alone with God, you've memorized verses, you know, like every day you're listening to podcasts that's just building you up in the faith, uh, and, and you, you're around others who just aren't as developed, aren't as motivated as you, and it's, it's kind of easy to look down on them. Um, Jesus speaks to that situation, that, that temptation that we all have to become proud when we've made progress. And I even think, as Jesus starts this section on the Sermon on the Mount, that that's, that might be his assumption here. Because the, the way that we've unpacked the Sermon on the Mount so far is that Jesus gave us a process in chapter six. Uh, internal training is the process for progress. And he defined progress in the Christian life in chapter five. This is what kingdom righteousness looks like, chapter five. 
And then here's how you move towards it, chapter six. So if you're paying attention and you're like, you, you really want to do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, then by the time chapter seven rolls around, you, you might feel some internal like encouragement, like, man, we're, we're making progress. It feels good. Um, and so this temptation to become proud and think you're great uh, is, is kind of in play. So, uh, yeah, that brings us to our text today, Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. So today we're beginning what, what I've sectioned off as the last section in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm summarizing this last section with those three words, insides coming out. It's, it's where our insides come out. Because the whole Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, kingdom righteousness. It's, it's not, don't, don't measure yourself by, have you committed murder? But measure yourself by, do you have the anger in your heart that leads to murder? Right? Don't measure yourself Jesus teaches by adultery, but he raises the bar and shows us the true intention of God's law and says, don't have a lustful heart. So it's all been inside, but in chapter seven, Jesus is beginning to teach us our insides are coming out. And it's especially in our relationships that our internal training should manifest itself, should produce fruit. So, um, it might be hidden today, but tomorrow it won't be. And so think, just this is helpful for me. Think about if one Sunday morning, um, the worst parts of your week, the worst parts of your month just started flashing and playing in video form on our TVs here. Woo-wee, right? Um, <laughs> kind of gives you, I mean, if you really let that settle in, kinda, that's a nauseating sensation. Um, but Jesus is teaching us that we can live our lives more and more ready for our insides to come out. Um, to not be afraid of that, but uh, to have insides that we're not, we're not trying to hide. So this passage in particular that we're studying today, I think is probably one of the most distorted, like misunderstood teachings of Jesus because... People quote Jesus as saying, do not judge, right? Or you too will be judged. And they just stop there. And they act like Jesus didn't continue his teaching. And that's very much like a journalist who says, oh, can I get a quote from you? And then takes part of your quote and puts it on the, the headline. <laughs> Misrepresents what you intended to say, the, the whole truth of your statement. Also, I just, I just want to point this out. I believe that just letting this be the message of Matthew 7 verses 1 through 6, don't judge, it's, it's a logical fallacy. And so if you don't know what a logical fallacy is, here's an example. There is no absolute truth. And then you could reply, are you absolutely sure of that? 
You know, like you cannot say there's no absolute truth because that that's an absolute truth statement. So, so Jesus saying, don't judge. Um, Jesus makes all sorts of judgments. Okay. Right. Even in this section, he says, you hypocrite, there's a judgment. And so, yeah, whenever people say, or, you know, this is just training for us, I think, when we see it on Facebook or when we hear, and maybe it's a time to say it, to to, to reply to them, but if you say, don't judge, um, don't judge me, they're making a judgment on you of how they could judge you. Does that make sense? It's, It's just a logical fallacy to think Jesus is teaching, don't judge, end of story. Jesus knows that humans will judge. We have to judge to make any decision. He's really teaching us how to judge. Okay, that, that's what we're driving at today. Jesus is teaching us how to judge. So before I jump in, I just want to cast some vision for us to, to show how important good judgment is. Because I think in order to live well, in order to live really good, healthy lives, we've got to judge well. So good judgment makes for more vibrant singleness because it simultaneously shows the gravity of choosing the wrong partner while also showing the greatness of trusting God with your future. That's what good judgment does. Good judgment in marriage makes for vibrant marriages because good judgment tells you what not to say and how to say what needs to be said. That's what good judgment does. Good judgment is essential for good parenting Because it doesn't just tell you when to discipline your kid, but how to discipline your kid. Or when to praise your kid, but how to praise your kid. This is what good judgment is. Good judgment makes business people who are looking at more than just the financial bottom line. Good judgment makes for better teachers, better engineers, better students. No matter where you're at in life, we need good judgment. And the Proverbs says to seek wisdom, seek good judgment, though it costs all you have, get understanding. And Proverbs is a book full of judgment. This is good. This is bad. This is wise. This is foolish. So how we judge, I believe it's just of utmost importance for our life. So let's learn from Jesus how to judge. And the first way Jesus teaches us how to judge is found in verse 2. When he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is teaching us to judge with mercy. Judge with compassion. Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote in his epistle, his letter, he said, judgment without mercy is going to be shown to anyone who doesn't give mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when we judge with mercy, it's not judging someone or being merciful. It's it's both. It's judgment and mercy together. And you see this throughout the scriptures. In the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning, when man sinned, God judged them, but he also was merciful to them. They didn't die immediately, and God covered them with uh, the sheepskin, with the goatskin, an animal skin. So... So there's mercy there, but God also exiled them from the garden. And we know there's all sorts of consequences from that sin. But God judges and he judges mercifully. We do well to do the same. 
Part of judging mercifully is the second way we learn from Jesus how to judge. And, and we should judge starting with ourself. Here's how Jesus says it in verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And the, verse 5 starts with, you hypocrite, because it, it's judging <laughs> Verse 4, how can you say, let me take that speck out and ignore the big plank, the beam in your own eye? So Jesus is saying we need to learn how to judge starting with ourself. If you fail to own your plank, you're either totally unaware, not engaging your insides at all, or what Jesus assumes in the judgment of you hypocrite is that you are play acting. You know you have this plank in your eye, but you're like an actor in a play, an actor in a movie, pretending to be a character that you're really not. Johnny Depp doesn't really talk like Captain Sparrow all the time, right? He's play acting. He might have done that. I think he did do it when he was leading up to it, but that was training, right? He was training to play act. He was training to be someone that he wasn't. So we should not train to live as someone that we're not. And so an application, just a really, I think, helpful way to guard against play acting is regularly confess sin to God. I'm not suggesting you have to go and do it the Catholic way to a priest. I think there's all sorts of uh, holes in that type of approach to confession, but do you regularly confess sin to God and to others? That's a key part of owning your plank. That's what I'm calling the judgment starting with self is owning your plank. And so just for example, what might be some sins uh, in our life? We, we could say it like this. Well, I can be impatient or I know I can really be easily angered, but we need to own that plank and not just acknowledge Oh yeah, it's there. We need to own it. Say, so why is it a problem that I'm easily angered? What does the Bible say about people who are easily angered? The Proverbs have a lot to say about that. We need to own what our sin is. What does that show that I believe about God when I worry? Right, we talked about worry last week. What does that show that I believe about God? How does that affect the people around me? Own our plank, friends. Own your plank. Judgment. And judging well is so important, and it starts with self. Someone might say, Ben, yeah, I, I get that, but no one is perfect except Jesus. That's right. Absolutely. But Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if we want to do more than just kind of get our citizenship into the kingdom stamped, if we actually want to live in the kingdom, we should be living lives of ongoing repentance. Because the kingdom of heaven is here now. It's present. Not in full, but it's present. It's available to us. And so I would even go as far as saying that you can be sure you are missing out on kingdom life if you're not living a life of ongoing repentance. And so when we hear that word repent, there's all sorts of different things that come to mind. But uh, it's just turning away from yourself and turning back to God, living life God's way. It does have some sorrow, like, related to it, that you are 
sorrowful, you, 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 you know, you don't agree with that choice, that sin, but it's not a call to sadness. It's, it's the path to joy. Paul writes that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. No regret. Doesn't disappoint. So it's, it's only at this point of honestly dealing with our own sin and, and knowing the joy of our salvation afresh it's only at that point that we can begin to help another person and we're expected to help other people. We're expected to judge in ways that help other people. This is clear from the third way Jesus teaches to judge, which I would summarize as gently restoring others. Verses five and six talk about other people. This is where I'm getting the phrase insides coming out. It, it's, it's how you relate to other people. And I don't know if you've ever had this unique experience um, where you're corrected by someone and then you walk away from that experience uh, feeling encouraged, feeling loved. Um, that's not only possible, but that is life-giving. And, and we will miss the mark on this. We're not going to do it perfectly, but that should be our goal. Um, that we love others enough to where they feel loved even when uh, we have to correct them. Proverbs 15 says, a healing, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. So if, if your words can be healing and gentle and, and help others, it's, it gives them life. But perverseness in the tongue breaks the bones. So clearly, starting with ourself, owning our plank, that's not the end point. That's a checkpoint. Owning your plank, it's, it's more like a yield sign than a stop sign. Before I before I go and tell everyone what they're doing wrong, I need to own my plank. I need to, I need to yield and make sure that my heart's right and make sure that I'm taking care of my own sin issue and not just seeing everyone else's issues. Jesus teaches to take the plank out of our eye and then we can see clearly to remove the speck from our brothers. Because if we, if we wait until... We have no sin in our life. We'll be waiting forever to help and love someone else with, with good and right judgment that agrees with God. So again, I just want to say, starting with self, owning your plank, that's not the end point. That's a checkpoint. And Paul in Galatians 6 says it this way, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So here's, here's the last word that Jesus gives in this passage on how to judge. Verse six. It's for all the dog lovers out there. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If they do, they'll trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, the, the first century Jewish world, there's a very different world of dogs and pigs than what we live in today. Those animals were unclean and they weren't domesticated pets at all. So uh, what Jesus is saying here, he's giving us a second checkpoint. And when, when we go from the inside out, when we, when we go to judge and help other people in love, um, the first checkpoint is live life honestly, dealing with your own planks. And the second checkpoint is examine if it'll be a waste. Like, don't offer someone else correction and help if you're pretty confident they're not going to receive it. Like, that, that's just a waste of a treasure. It, if you do that, it's kind of like burning money 
because pearls was valuable and they still are. Sacred things are valuable. Um, it's like burning money and then your clothes ending up like on fire and you know threatening your own well-being as well. And, and the reason that you're burning money is because you think that you're so much better, right? It's like, I, I can prove how, how much money I have by burning it or whatever. But uh, yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> listen, listen to the same principle at play in Proverbs 9 uh, and picture the pig that Jesus talked about smashing the pearls and then going to smash heads, okay? P- picture that pig as, as I read Proverbs 9, it says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who repu- reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man. He'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. So Jesus' words here contain an explicit warning about correcting a scoffer or a wicked man, someone who's just not going to take it. But there's also this implicit warning regarding how will we respond when we're corrected. Meaning, I think we should be afraid. If no one ever tells you anything hard, be afraid that you might be the pig. You know what I'm saying? If you're afraid that you might be the pig, ask someone that you trust, hey, is, I, I've noticed, you know, last year, a couple years, no one's really uh, corrected me on anything. You, you're close. I trust you. Is, is there something that I'm not seeing? Because it's entirely possible to be so disillusioned to think that we're owning our own planks when really we're owning these beams, these planks, and we're building a fortress around us that we don't let other people in. And when they try to come into our fortress, we attack. We resist. So verse 6 is about judging well using situational awareness. When we approach other people, we've got to know, is this a time and a place, is this a person who is willing to hear it? After we've done the first checkpoint of owning our own planks, then this second checkpoint um, of examining whether or not this is beneficial to say, uh, we've, we've got to do it. Because sometimes we should answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, that fool will be wise in his own eyes. The fool will think he's wise. Other times, we should not answer a fool according to his folly, lest we become a fool ourselves. So it's just situational awareness. You've got to listen to God's voice in all of that. And so in all of this judgment talk, I want to conclude by reminding us of this. Holy people are really healthy people. What I mean is to be holy, to to be like Christ, to be more and more godly, um, that we actually become more and more pleasant people to be around. Those two things are not normally associated together. But to be a holy person is to be a really pleasant person. And, and it's the type of person that if I was to have a conflict with anyone, you know, if I could choose, which you can't normally choose, you shouldn't choose who you have a conflict with, but that's the type of person that I'd want to have a conflict with. Because they're pleasant, because they're wise, 
because I know that they're owning their own plank. I know that they're using situational awareness, listening to God's voice, whether or not it's the time to say this or not. And I know that they're willing to ask forgiveness. They're not going to turn and try to tear me to pieces like the pig. And so with, with that being said, I mean, if, if we want to become more holy people, I just think it makes sense to admire Jesus, to admire him supremely. If holy people are healthy people, he is the picture of healthy humanity. Yes, he's fully God, but he's fully man. He's the picture of all that humanity is to be in God's design. He judged with mercy. Jesus always judged with mercy. And Jesus owned the plank. Now, he did, it wasn't his plank. He had no sin, but he owned the ultimate plank, the cross, even though he didn't deserve it. And I find that just so, this week, it was so humbling to me because it's hard enough to own your own plank. Am I right? You know, to have that type of honest self-reflection, to create that space to hear clearly from the still, small voice of God, it's hard to own your own plank. Just imagine how much more difficult it is to own a plank that isn't yours, that, that you didn't, you know, deserve. And Jesus, he used situational awareness. So none of this is things that we ought to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try to do. But as we walk with Jesus, we should expect to judge with mercy, to own our plank increasingly, even carrying others in appropriate ways. And in relationship to our Father, judge using situational awareness. A, a great example of this is in the book of John. This might confuse you. It confused me for a while. But Jesus is always saying, my, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He tells his mom in chapter two, woman, get behind me <laughs> because my hour has not yet come. But then at the end, he says, my hour is at hand. That's situational awareness. So Jesus, we worship you and we come begging for wisdom. And we need to judge well in order to live well. We don't want to learn situational awareness just by our own life experience. We don't want to live, we don't want to learn uh, by other people's experience. We, we want to learn from you how to use situational awareness and how to judge well. And we know that you promise to give wisdom to those who ask. And so we just, we just want to say with the psalmist and ask now and continue asking as we sing, Teach me knowledge and teach me good judgment, for I trust in your commands.